research. Research every single thing. Um, work hard and never stop, even if it feels like it's like it's not gonna work and it, it's hard, just keep going. This is Can Do, a podcast that explores the essential lessons for business success. As the world continues to feel the effect of the coronavirus, uncertainty and unpredictability have become the status quo. It has never been more important to learn from entrepreneurs and industry experts about their experiences and to hear their advice. Whether you're a business owner, entrepreneur, or your career is affected by the current economic climate, lessons shared by our guests can help you make informed decisions about your future. I'm your host, Arnie Sherman. Recreational cannabis use has increased dramatically in recent years. According to Bank of America analysts, 2001 saw a 40% increase in the use of cannabis in the United States, resulting in a staggering $25 billion in annual sales. Recreational cannabis is now legal in 18 states in the District of Columbia. The U.S. House of Representatives recently passed a congressional bill that would decriminalize cannabis at the federal level if approved by the Senate this spring. In Montana, recreational cannabis has been legal since January of this year. Montana monthly sales are exceeding $13 million, yielding $2.5 million in state taxes. The heavily regulated industry has 10 tiers of operation designed to keep growing facilities small and manageable. What is the status of the industry nationally? How has the rollout been received in Montana? How are the taxes being allocated? What are consumers buying? What does the future look like, particularly with the state's growing population and increased tourism? Joining us today on Candu to discuss all of this is Richard Eggers, owner and horticulturist of Bitterroot Cannabis Company. Richard has been in the industry in Montana since 2004 and understands the business from the ground up. Support for this episode of Candu is provided by the Dennis and Phyllis Washington Foundation, dedicated to investing in people to improve the quality of their lives. Additional support comes from the Greater Montana Foundation, encouraging communication on issues, trends, and values of importance to Montanans. And Parsons, Bailey, and Latimer, a regional law firm with national experience representing the interests of Montana entrepreneurs and businesses. More information at ParsonsBailey.com. Richard, welcome to the show today. How are you? Hey, I'm doing good, Arnie. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Let me start off by asking you this. How did you get into this business? Um, I got in the business um, when I became a patient in the medical marijuana program myself back in 2004. Um, I had a, a work-related injury and went through a lot of um, physical therapy and prescription drugs and um, nothing was working for about two years. Um, one day, my wife and I were um, uh, at a restaurant, and we were reading the classic Independence that's no longer around in Missoula, and there was an ad for medical marijuana, and we uh, thought we'd give it a shot, and went and got my card and saw the major change that um, it brought to me after uh, using it for the first time, and um, I was able to um, actually get up and walk and move around and uh, more so than using the prescription drugs. And after that, it was kind of just uh, deep dived right into it to spread it around and help more people since it helped me. And that's how I got into it. Previous to that, you had not worked in the industry. You not, had not been a horticulturist. You had not necessarily been 
growing any crops of any kind. So how did you learn about all that part of the business? Uh, lots of research, lots of reading, um, lots of um, uh, networking with other people in the industry. Um, it was um, pretty fresh and pretty new um, when I got into it. And so there's a lot of other people that were new to it too. And a lot of trial and error. So Montana passed uh, a recreational marijuana bill and it went into effect January of this year. So we're a few months into it. How has things been operating here? Uh, things have been quite the same. We're seeing, um, but um, seeing a lot of uh, new people getting into it. But it's uh, it's been operating the same. It's um, from medical marijuana. We've been um, a lot busier than medical marijuana, but um, it's been it's been good. It's been operating pretty much the same. So it's nice and comfortable. So the operation has been similar, and working with the state has been similar in terms of your interface. But what about the customer base and and the uh, growth of the recreational part of the business? Um, lots of new people, uh, lots of new people have never tried it before coming in, uh, lots of people who, um, who've been consuming for a while, but just wanted to, but never done it on a medical level and coming in first time into a store. Um, but, uh, yeah, a lot, a lot of new, uh, customer base. You know, in our little old area of Missoula, we have 56 dispensaries. Why is that? Does that have to do with how much you can grow and, and how does that competition, you know, affect you know, each of you that are operating in this environment? Um, well, um, since the um, beginning of recreational, um, I, I think there's enough customers to support all the dispensaries. Um, I really do. I've been seeing um, a huge uptick in people just coming to my store alone and then mentioning going to other stores. And um, from what I hear from other dispensary owners, they're, they're doing well, um, too. So um, I think the competition is good. Everybody else does their own sort of thing. Um, we specialize in like edibles and there's some dispensaries out there that specialize in concentrates and stuff like that. And so it's some people come to us for a specific product and then they'll go to the other dispensary down the road to get their the product that they like from that dispensary. And um, personally, I think it's been competition is good. It's been working out for everybody. Now, the way this the law is implemented in Montana, there are... 10 tiers of operation. What tier are you and what are the differences among these tiers of operation? Oh, we are tier two. Um, so um, we're allowed to grow, uh, based off the tiers is how many, um, how much square canopy square footage you're allowed to grow. Uh, so tier two, we're allowed to grow uh, 2,500 square feet of um, uh, canopy square footage uh, from uh, end to end on um, the plants. And then like tier three is uh, 5,000 square footage and it goes up to that. Uh, uh, tier 10 is a lot. So I don't have the numbers um, on me, but it's um, more than what we need. Um, we are looking into expanding into a tier three actually uh, this summer. But um, yeah, it's just based off of the square footage on the canopy. And how much product can you grow on 2,500 square feet? How long will that last? Um, well, if you do it, the, the way our operation works is I have it set up so it's a perpetual harvest. And so we're harvesting um, every uh, six to eight weeks um, a certain amount of square footage. Um, it's, um, it's about 1,000 square feet every six to eight weeks. And that's enough to provide our store with the, the product that we need um, without um, running low. And does that contemplate a 
busy tourist season. You know, Montana gets about half of its tourists, you know, during the summertime and early fall. Will you be able to handle, or, or will your peers be able to handle not only all of our local, you know, needs, but the incoming needs of tourists who are visiting here for the summer? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I'm, um, uh, me and a couple of other people we've been talking, and it's like we're, we're not really knowing what to expect. We know it's going to be busier, um, and right now it's like, yeah, that's we can provide with uh, what we're currently um, seeing coming in, uh, customers coming in, but um, we don't know what's going to look like with the uh, the tour season. We know it's going to be big, and we know it's going to be huge. Um, so the, it'll be uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Part of the way the law was written in this tier structure and letting local people get a competitive advantage, we don't have many of the big national chain cannabis dispensaries in Montana. Do you foresee that happening in the future? Is that the way the competition is going to shake out? I think so. Yeah, absolutely. I think after, um, I think it's um, 2023, I think is when um, out-of-state companies are going to be able to um, come in and start applying for licenses. So I think that'll definitely be a thing. I do know there's a couple dispensaries that I don't, I'm sure there is some way they figured it out how to make it work, but I do know a couple companies in Missoula that are from, uh, from California. They started in California. They have the name. So I don't know if they sold the name or how that worked, but it's, uh, it's kind of started already. Yeah. And other places that I have visited in Nevada, for example, Las Vegas, they have these mega stores that are the size of like a Costco that are selling. I don't know if that if our law allows for, you know, the potentiality for that, but that's something obviously as a business owner you have to pay attention to. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the law does allow for that uh, based off of there's nothing of going against on um, how much product you can have and how big the store is or anything like that. So I can definitely see it um, going that way. I want to go back to you one of your earlier comments that you got involved in the business because of uh, medical issues that you were experiencing and the normal pharmaceutical response wasn't doing much for you. And so um, you tried more of the homeopathic uh, opportunity that cannabis provides. So maybe tell the listeners a little bit about, you know, the benefits of cannabis. I mean, you know, even in the recreational area, there are mixtures between, you know, CBD and THC. And can you, can you explain that all as if a novice was, was walking into the store? Uh, yeah. Um, so, um, with personally for me with, uh, with cannabis, um, I was, um, when I sw- when I started trying cannabis, I was more clear headed than when I was on the prescription pills. So I, I, they put me on all kinds of stuff um, and just nothing. I didn't like the way it made me feel. Um, I, I slept a lot. Uh, it was um, it was very um, it was not uh, not well, and I still wasn't able to do as much as I could uh, normally before the injury. Um, but with cannabis, I was a lot more clear headed. Um, you can can you can control your dosage a lot more with uh, cannabis than you can with prescription pills if you just need something for. Um, to help you right away that just to relieve a little bit of the pain you can smoke something that's a little low dose uh, low potency in thc and a little bit higher in the cbd and get more of a therapeutic effect than a stony effect um and groggy effects and if you are looking for a, a sleepy effect you can get higher in the um in the thc to give you more of that um you know classic 
couch lock tired effects the pain relief and be ready for bed and stuff and again for our listeners the thc is more of the hallucinogenic quality of the cannabis and the cbd is more of the pain relief element and you can mix and balance and as a horticulturist you can develop strains of both flowers and and uh concentrates and infused products and ointments that uh, uh, consumers can try to see that if it will alleviate, um, you know, the issues that they're coming in to see you about, right? Uh, correct. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. THC is definitely the more of the uh, psychoactive cannabinoid in cannabis and uh, CBD is definitely the more therapeutic non-psychoactive. There's definitely ways to, um, to mix and match and find uh, what gives you the best uh, the best relief. What are customers looking for in general? Here in Montana, I don't know if it's different anywhere else. When somebody walks in, a new customer, what are they generally looking for? Um, well, it's uh, it's varied. Um, with recreational, we are not... I'm still seeing my normal um, um, medical patient um, patients coming in still and purchasing their cannabis for relief. But mainly the people that we're seeing for recreational is... Um, they they want to they want to smoke it because it's rec and they want to get the um, uh, the for lack of a better term they want to get the 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 high the stoned effects um, instead of um, like uh, going and getting beer and getting drunk or something like that so they're looking uh, we're seeing a lot of people coming in and uh, looking for uh, something that gives a, a nice punch and a nice you know a, a nice uh, head effect a nice body effect. So in 2004, you started in this industry. It's obviously at that point, there was only medical marijuana in the state. Had you run a business before? Had you, had you been an, uh, you know, an entrepreneur and started a business prior to that? No, no, not at all. Never thought about it either. So how did you learn how to run the business end of this? Lots of trial and error. <laughs> Lots of research, uh, there's, you know, you have to generally have to go to school for something like that to get the, the whole rundown. But it was a lot of finding out um, the, the hard ways and uh, and then making sure you don't make the same mistake again. Did you visit other shops in other states? I have. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I uh, when they legalized in Washington, I went over to Seattle and went to the first hemp fest after uh, Seattle hemp fest after legalization. And they had a bunch of uh, shops and businesses down there and uh, went and visited a whole bunch to see what they're doing in the big cities. And it was uh, quite um, an eye opening experience over there. And there are conventions and, and trade shows and all that that happen in the industry, aren't there? Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, there's a lot of big, uh, big trade shows that happen. BlizzCon is one that happens in uh, California and Nevada. And yeah, there's, um, they get quite massive with new technology and new strains and stuff like that coming out. We're talking all things cannabis today with Richard Eggers, owner and horticulturist of Bitterroot Cannabis. Support for this episode of CanDo is provided by Montana Rail Link committed to safely delivering transportation solutions to their customers and partners. Additional support comes from the Greater Montana Foundation, encouraging communication on issues, trends, and values of importance to Montanans. And Parsons, Bailey, and Latimer, a regional law firm with national experience representing the interests of Montana entrepreneurs and businesses. More information at ParsonsBailey.com. In some people's mind, 
you know, cannabis, pot, you know, whatever you, you know, however you look at it, you, th you think of it as sort of, uh, you know, a street drug, but it's a $25 billion industry and growing and getting very sophisticated in terms of products and paraphernalia and strains and, you know, again, ointments and tinctures. And so when somebody walks in the store, how do you figure out what, you know, let's say they're coming in for uh, mostly, uh, you know, a medical or a pain relief kind of uh, uh, experience. How do you ferret out what, what's the best fit for them? Uh, well, first thing, uh, first thing I ask them is if they, um, uh, do they have experience with cannabis as uh, a treatment. Um, and if it's, um, it depends on where we go from there. If it's a no, and then I recommend um, nice, low, potent uh, products. Um, specifically, if um, they're not looking to smoke, I offer our edibles um, or ointments, um, depending on if it's a, a joint or muscle pain. Um, and then um, if they are experienced with cannabis and they're looking for something for a specific ailment that they have and they need some relief, and then I'll offer them um, some of our stronger products um, that um, pack quite a punch, but um, have a little bit more of a medicinal therapeutic effect for people who are more um, experienced with cannabis. And so we just ask questions um, like, uh, do you want to smoke it? Do you want to eat it? Do you want to drink it? Um, do you um, do you want it to have a uh, effect that ha that lasts for more than a couple hours? Um, do you want something just quick and easy? Um, and then we kind of ferret out exactly what they want after that. Well, some of the products take a while to kick in. I mean, I I assume that smoking is the fastest to get a re reaction to. And maybe, I don't know, um, gummies or uh, some of the ingestibles take longer. What's, what's sort of the, the spread of the, uh, of the time between taking and, and feeling the effects? Yeah, so uh, smoking is, of course, the fastest. Uh, you're looking anywhere from five to ten minutes for it to take effect. It's pretty immediate. Um, it does la doesn't last as long. Uh, some some strong strains last for about two hours, maybe three. Um, and then with the edibles, depending on what type of edibles you get, if you get a traditional like gummy, chocolates, uh, food based product, it's going to go through your digestive system, so it's going to take longer to get into the bloodstream. Uh, you're looking anywhere from 90 minutes up to three hours to take effect, depending on your body's chemistry. Like personally, for me, it takes a really long time for food based edibles to take effect for me, and I'm up in the three hour area. So I'll take something and forget about it and three hours later. It's, uh, you know, you can feel it coming on. And then there's other people where it only takes 90 minutes. Um, and then there's some edibles out there like um, drinks. Uh, drinks um, take a effect a lot faster than your traditional food-based product because it's liquid form. This is absorbing into the bloodstream a lot faster. And so you're looking anywhere from 15 minutes to 45 minutes for the, um, for the drinks. So if you're taking a, a cannabis product to help you sleep, you kind of have to, on your own personal body clock, have to figure out how much in advance of when you want to go to sleep you need to take it, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. So you've developed strains within this confines of the 2,500 square foot canopy. You can't have everything for everybody. Does the law allow for you to buy from other dispensaries and other, and other uh, you know, producers? Yeah, it does. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. There's a wholesale law in effect right now, and uh, we're allowed to um, purchase wholesale products from other um, producers uh, to provide in our store. You know, when the, when the law was being contemplated here, it went through lots of, uh, you know, iterations, 
and there was lots of lobbying on both sides, and you know, and obviously he went to a vote, and it is still subject in many counties to local uh, regulation, and not every county in Montana has cannabis operations. So how has the law, in your opinion, ended up as a good guide for the industry? Um, I think it's a great start um, to recreational. Um, of course, we're operational. I'm not in a red county, um, thankfully. And um, um, But so far, I think it's a great start. And um, the um, Department of Revenue seems to want to listen to um, providers and manufacturers and producers about um, what they can do to make it easier um, and uh, pass rules to help. Um, so I, I can see it becoming like the becoming a pretty good law. Isn't the biggest issue uh, that faces most dispensary owners the lack of banking capability for your sales and, and having a structure like a normal business? And what has uh, the new congressional legislation uh, done to improve that if it passes through the Senate this spring? Um, I hope it passes. We've been waiting for it for a really long time. Um, we lucked out in our business. I can't name the bank that we bank through, but um, we're in a startup program um, and able to have a checking account so we can deposit our um, cash. Um, we still can't take credit cards and debit cards, unfortunately, because that's on to the um, the credit card and debit card companies won't allow it. Um, but, um, if it's safe, uh, if the more, I think it's called the more act, if the more act passes, um, the Senate, that would be, um, it would help a lot and then give the banking systems, uh, more leeway. We'd be able to start operating like a normal business. We can take credit cards, we can take debit cards. We can go get traditional financing. We can get loans, business loans to buy more product and expand. And it would be, uh, it would be a really good thing to happen. And you've been following all that legislation, and you've been looking at, you know, the, de- you've been looking at the decriminalization, you know, provisions of that as well. That's part of the reason why the banks, and the credit card companies have stayed away from it. But that will all that will all legitimize completely um, the operation, not only in Montana but nationwide. It'll then be available to operate uh, uh, across the country. Will it still then require states to pass? laws or once it's federally approved do you believe that uh, you can go into a state that uh, that hasn't adjudicated this and and open up an operation i think it's going to be a state by uh state by state case uh basis i think um i think because it'll be federally decriminalized that's um It'll be a lot more easy to to open up something and to do something uh, based in the cannabis industry, but based off of the state themselves. I know there's a lot of red states out there, um, and no um, uh, red states and me- meaning um, not cannabis friendly states um, would be um, would be taking the um, enforcement into their own hands and making sure that doesn't happen. And so I would uh, I would think that we would have to wait for each state to pass their own rules and regulations. And so it's just not like a free for all green rush and uh, a lot of um, unregulated uh, cannabis being sold on the market and being out there into the uh, into the streets. You know, what's fascinating to me about this whole industry is not only the business end of it, which almost everybody in the industry had to learn from the ground up, but the compounding and the horticultural and the creation of the product. So you're, you know, you're in 
both areas in this case. You're not just receiving product, you know, that you can buy from a wholesaler or a distributor. You have to create it all yourself. And what, what has been the, uh, you know, the high points and low points of going through that whole process of trying to come up with product that you think is going to be, uh, you know, good for the consumer marketplace? Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's, it can be quite a hurdle sometimes, especially when you're introducing new strains, um, because you have to, of course, test it. So, um, based off what I do on my operation is uh, when I test out a new strain, I separate it from all my other plants because you don't really know based from a, coming from a seed or even coming from a clone, whether that strain is going to, um, prove to be, um, a good growing strain. Uh, so a pure, um, a pure female, one thing you have to watch out for is hermaphroditic strains. And what they do is they produce both male and female, um, um, the both male and female and so you can pollinate your entire grow if you're testing out a new strain and you mess up and it's like oh this strain's not going to work and then you can the, the the downside of that is you completely seed out your entire crop and then you want to be able to uh, sell it as flour um, there's other ways to save that product by processing it um, but um, the the ups about it is if you find that's one strain that's going to be amazing and then it grows great and it's stable and people enjoy it and it produces a bit and it has a good potency and quality to it. That's a nice high point. You said that you're growing continuously, so it's not just a crop season and you harvest everything at one time and then and then plant all again. But how long does it take from the time you plant a seed till you can actually harvest it and produce a sellable product? Um, it takes quite a bit. Um, it's um, from seed. Uh, I go about a year before I harvest it. I make sure that it's big enough to take clones off it. I make sure my clones are rooted um, just in case it does well and I have those plants still available so I can keep them growing. Um, and then uh, flowering it can, depending on the strain that you have, can take anywhere from um, two to three months to uh, flower it uh, all the way through the flowering process and then to harvest it. So it's, I go a year if I'm doing seeds before I'm harvesting that seed. So are there other, but beside from seeds, are there other ways to produce the product from, from clones or from buds or? Yeah, from clones. Yep, absolutely. So um, there's two stages of um uh, the, the cannabis plant. There's uh, vegetation and then there's flower. And the vegetation stage is where it producing its leaves and it's growing vertically and they can control the growth process on that to make them bushier or to make them straight up. Um, and then what you do is you uh, take... Um, uh, take shoots off the plants and uh, dip them in rooting hormones and it becomes they called clones because it's an exact copy of what you take that uh, plant uh, plant off and then uh, once it's rooted you put it in some soil and take care of it and eventually in a couple months it'll be a full-size plant ready to go and as i mentioned earlier before you started this you knew nothing about any of these sorts of uh, techniques and and processes and this whole field of horticulture plus genetics. I mean, you you have to dabble in that as well. This is all self-taught to you since you got into the industry. Correct. Yep. Since I got into the industry, all self-taught. Lots of book reading. Lots of uh, lots of internet searching, and uh, again, lots and lots of trial and error. That begs the point. If you had to do it all over again, what would you do differently? If I had to do it all over again, what would I do differently? I don't think I would do 
anything differently because I learned so much from the failures that I had and that's where I learned to do everything I all the knowledge that I have is where that came from so I don't think I would really change anything of what I did before and what advice do you have for someone who is a young entrepreneur in Montana who may be looking to start a new business, not necessarily a cannabis business, but someone who has never been a business person before and wants to create their own new you know, product or their new service or they're going to set up something from scratch? You know, what's, what's the best lessons you could share with them? Um, research, research every single thing, um, something that you think that you know a lot about. There can be lots of in and outs that they, that they didn't know about. So research, 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 um, work hard and never stop. Even if it feels like it's like, it's not going to work and it, it's hard, just keep going. And what does the future look like for Bitterroot Cannabis Company? Uh, future looks great for us. We're um, we just hired a, another person. We went from a, a crew of uh, three people to a crew of five now. Um, we're increasing our product line. We're um, we're we got plans to expand in the summer. We got plans to um, open a, um, a full on brand of uh, edibles, um, and um, it looks it looks great. We're even in talks with opening up another store in another part of the states. And getting another crew over there, um, we're uh, we're pretty excited about um, what the future holds for us. Richard, this has been a very interesting, enlightening, and fascinating conversation, and I wish you the best of luck in the future. Oh, thank you very much. I really appreciate that. I appreciate your listening to Can Do, produced by Lena Beck in association with Montana Public Radio. For comments, recommendations for future guests, or general information please go to mtpr.org. There you'll find previous guest contact information and content from all our shows. Listen next time when I'll talk with Megan Crawford, founder of Montana Woman Magazine. I'm Arnie Sherman, wishing you good health and prosperity.